Yeah, I'm going to be reading uh, the passage for today. It's in Luke 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Before Pete comes up, I'm going to pray for him real quick. Dear Lord, um, yeah, God, I pray that you would just give us eyes to see um, today, Lord. I pray that we'd be able to um, truly witness and behold uh, the treasure that is Christ, God, the, the compassion um, that God has displayed for us. Um, God, I pray that that would man compel us to want to love him and love others more. Uh, God, we know the unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. God, I pray that um, as Pete talks uh, through this passage, God, I pray that you would uh, just open our eyes, um, God, and that we would not only learn more about you, but God, it would transform us uh, from the inside out. Um, God, you're good, and we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. A big welcome as well from me. If you're visiting or, or new with us here, uh, had the chance of meeting a, a new uni student at prayer, and it's just it's so encouraging um, to um, just be able to be a church that that's able to invest in 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 students at a really critical time of life. So, really hope you're welcome and looking forward to getting into God's word with you today. We're continuing our compassion that compels. Uh, series. And I'm actually going to start by talking about a family devotion we did this week. So um, we've been using this book for a while. You can come and ask me about it afterwards if you're interested. But it takes you through uh, the catechism, so the question and answers. And it has like little stories that, that go along with it to sort of massage those truths into children and parents' lives. Uh, and one of the stories we did this week was there's three young lads and they're wanting to build a cubby house. And they've got the perfect tree sort of lined up that's going to be able to house this thing. But they have no wood. But uh, one day, one of the, the boys sees a construction site and there's lots of wood lying around. So he puts it in his wagon and he brings it along. And they're all really excited because now they've got the wood for the cubby house. But one of them asks, oh, where'd you get the wood? And, and the guy goes, oh, well, I got it from this building site. So he can't just grab wood from a building site and he's like no it's fine there's heaps there and no one saw me and the other little boy says but but god would have seen you you can't do that and after a discussion they they decide actually um they're going to take the, the wood back and uh, apologize and they're on their way back to take the the, the wood back and, and the first little boy goes it's scary knowing that god sees everything we do. Now, no, not, not necessarily everyone here in, believes in the existence of God, um, but the Bible tells us that, that God is all-knowing, is all-seeing. Uh, he knows everything that we do. And I think our conscience has been made in the image of God. We actually all feel that, whether we believe that or not. 
Um, God sees everything that we do. You notice that that little boy is sort of going, oh, it's bad that God sees us because he's thinking that God sees what I do wrong and he's sitting there sort of waiting to judge. It's scary. But listen to, to what the, boy, the other little boy responds with. He says, Wouldn't it be scarier if God didn't see us? Then he couldn't take care of us. I think that's so profound. Right? Often we look, look at God and we think that he is quick to anger. We think that he's a pointed finger at us wanting to condemn. Whereas the scriptures clearly and wonderfully tell us that he is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. That he has open arms wanting to embrace us. And it makes such a difference if we see God as, as one who is leaning into us, wanting to care and show compassion. And today we're going to look at this wonderful story in, in the Gospel of Luke where we see God's compassion, Jesus' compassion, really wonderfully on show. Let me put this down. Feel free to ask me about that later because it really is a helpful little devotion booklet. Uh, but, but today, as, as we go through the, this passage... We're just going to see there's this temptation, I think, in all of humanity. Ever since the fall, we've had this temptation to want to hide from God because of our sin and what we've done wrong. But actually, what we should be doing is walking out into the light and into Jesus' open arms of compassion. Okay, so we're going to look through this, this story, Luke chapter 7. Firstly, we're going to just look at what Jesus sees in this story. Uh, and so we're going to go through it. Then we're going to look at what do you see? So what's, what's your reaction? What do you see in Jesus in this story? And then I want to spend the last five minutes or so just thinking about what it means that Jesus sees us. Okay. So firstly, what does Jesus see? Um, if you've got your Bibles there from verse 11, it says, Soon afterward he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So there's a map going to go up on the screen, and it sort of shows you that the town of Nain is, is down there to the sort of southwest. Up at the top of the, the Sea of Galilee, uh, you can see uh, Capernaum, where Jesus has just been. Now, that's a distance of about 80 kilometres on foot. Jesus has just been in Capernaum. He's just um, miraculously healed the servant of a centurion without even seeing him. Uh, and he has just preached this sermon called the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, where he, he says things like, you know, I'm the rock that you should uh, listen to and build your house upon. Now, so there's great crowds. They estimate about a thousand people are following with Jesus all this way down to this little town of Nain, which uh, they think at the time from archaeology that it's about 500 people in this, this town of Nain. And when they get there, verse 12 tells us, as he drew near to the gate of the town, Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So Jesus and his crowd is coming. Most likely this is sort of at sunset time. The reason we know this is because it's a funeral. Uh, they would have them after the day's work had been com completed. And it's a young man, uh, and, and almost certainly pretty much the whole town of Nain, 500-odd people, are sort of coming out out of the town when Jesus and his crowds are arriving. But the central thing that, that, that this verse shows us is that uh, it's, a, it's the funeral of a young man, but the focus is on the, the mother. She's a widow, uh, so her husband's died, and it's her only son. 
uh, almost certainly from the context, is her only child. Right? We're, we're to see that, that she uh, is in a desperate situation, obviously dealing with incredible grief. There's no social security and so forth in those days and having no husband or, or son means that she was most likely to be destitute. In verse 13, we see, see what Jesus does. And when he, the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he said to her, do not weep. First thing I want to draw your attention to in this verse is that the narrator here uses the title of Jesus, the Lord. Uh, I actually quickly read through all of Luke's gospel to this point, and, and I'm pretty sure this is the first time that um, that this title is used by the narrator of Jesus. So he's been called Lord in a few other circumstances to this point, but I think there's and before this he'd been been referred to by the narrator as Jesus, which sort of picks up on Jesus' humanity that he's going to save his people. Um, but the Lord is a, is a title, sort of a hierarchical title, most often used of, of God. It's a divine title. Right? So it's interesting in such a sort of personal human interaction that Jesus is being referred to in a divine title here, and quite deliberately so. Uh, when the Lord saw her. Now there's a massive crowd going on. There must have been so much going on. Uh, but he saw her. Most likely, she was walking behind the coffin. Almost certainly, she would have been alone, even physically. Because, because her son had died, someone needed to, to prepare the body for burial and, and place him on the, the bed and, and so forth. And anyone touching a corpse would be unclean. And so almost certainly that, that she had done this alone... And then no one else could actually physically touch her. Right? So she would have been quite alone. Jesus saw her in her grief, her isolation, maybe her fear and anger. And he had compassion. Right? He felt deeply for her, as, as probably many of us would. Uh, his heart went out to her. Now, as Matt Stewart mentioned earlier, we're going through the book Gentle and Lowly. Many of us um, in the church are reading through it. In that book, it gives a, a really helpful definition for, for this word compassion that we find in the Bible. Uh, it, it says that the word denotes more than passing pity. It refers to a depth of feeling in which your feelings and longings churn within you. And the noun form of this verb means most literally one's guts or intestines. So this is a very strong, you know, almost there's a, meant to be a physical sort of reaction and feeling to this, this emotion that, that Jesus is, is showing here towards this woman. Now there's a, a theologian um, about 100 years ago, B.B. Warfield. Uh, he actually investigated through the the Gospels, all the emotions that Jesus displayed. And he wrote a really influential and really helpful paper just looking at all the different emotions. So Jesus shows anger, sorrow, grief. But the predominant and, and most often by far emotion that Jesus shows as recorded in the Gospels is compassion. And B.B. Warfield just helpfully sort of concludes, and I think he's right, that... You think of, of Jesus, the perfect, holy one of God, like God himself 
out of love entering into humanity. Imagine just as he walked around, as he looked around, as he saw so many people dealing with sin, dealing with the consequences of sin, dealing with suffering or disease. Uh, just His compassion was just overflowing and going out. He knew each and everyone's needs. He's walking on this earth and compassion is just oozing out of him. And so Jesus, the most perfectly compassionate person ever, what's he going to say to this woman? What tender words will he utter? Well, he says, do not weep. Now, I'm, to be honest, I, I have a lot of situations and, and I find this one of the toughest things about being a pastor for me is that often you're brought into just people's deep grief and challenging situations in life. And I, I, find, I think most of us would find that, that very difficult. I find that uh, that hard, sometimes uncomfortable. Sometimes I'm, I'm ashamed because I'm dealing with my own sin and grief, um, even as I'm, I'm trying to minister to others. Now, I would say that I know enough to know that you don't say in that situation, do not weep. Okay, because weeping is so natural when people in the deep grief. Like I might say don't cry to my kids when they've like got the tiniest scrape on their knee or something. But but when we're in deep grief, when something like losing a son has happened, I can't imagine uttering that phrase. And you sort of like I've been really stirred up by this this week. Like, has Jesus failed Compassion 101? What's he actually saying? What's going on here? Now, I did a bit of searching on this because, as I said, I was just sort of stirred up by, what's Jesus doing here? Now, there's one other time in all the Bible that the exact same phrase is used. So in the Greek, this is, is two words. It's sort of a word for no and a command to, to weep. And it's, it's quite a, a clear command, don't, don't weep. The other time that it's found is in the book of Revelation. In chapter 5. Now, the book of Revelation is, is sort of a vision of, of what's, what's going to come between Jesus' first and second coming and, and new heavens and the new earth. And in Revelation 5, the Apostle John has sort of got this vision and he's there in the heavenly hosts. And there's this scroll. And this scroll sort of represents God's plan of how he's going to save and redeem his people and what's going to happen for all eternity. And John's weeping because it's, it's sealed up and there's no one worthy to open the seals. And the angel says to John, don't weep. And the reason that the angel can say that is because then they see the, the lamb who has been slain. They see Jesus and he's, he's pictured as a lamb being slain because he's the one who has laid down his life on the cross. Who has, who has taken the sins of the world on his shoulders is being slain as the sacrifice so that he could offer life to all who would trust in him. And so this do not weep, you can see it in Revelation 5, is we don't have to weep because Jesus is worthy and he's willing. And I think back in Luke chapter 7, he's able to say do not weep because he's worthy and he's willing. And he's actually the only one that can, can say that because he actually has the power to fix the whole problem of why she's weeping. So what happens next in verse 14? He came up and he touched the bier. Uh, that, that's like the bed where the, the dead man's lying. And the bearer stood still and he said, 
young man, I say to you, arise. Now, it's, it's very significant. We don't get the significance when we just read it, but it's very significant that Jesus touched the beer the, where the dead man was lying because that was unclean, right? Where a corpse was lying, that was unclean. The people carrying him would have had poles so that they weren't touching uh, that bed, so that they weren't getting the, the uncleanness. Now, the, the big deal about being unclean is it's not a sin to be unclean, but to be unclean means that you've been sort of in direct consequence, direct contact with something that is the consequence of the curse. And there's a lot of C words in there. Direct contact with something that's a consequence of the curse. So, for instance, um, childbirth actually made you unclean because that's associated with, with the curse. Death makes you unclean. Diseases and so forth, things that are a consequence of the curse. Um, make you unclean. Now, it's not a sin to be unclean, um, but because of the, ho- the holiness of God, you couldn't come into God's presence. So the Jews, um, you know, you had to wait different amounts of times for different things, but you had to, to wait time and go through a cleansing process and so forth to then be able to come back into God's presence. And so they were trying desperately not to, to sort of contact, come in contact with anything that's unclean. So for Jesus, a stranger, to, to come in and sort of say this abruptly, do not weep, and then to touch where the corpse is lying is just astounding. No wonder those that were bearing it stood still. Uh, they must have been amazed that someone would want to touch what is unclean. But here we see the great picture of the gospel at work. Because in normal cases, what, if you were to touch something that was unclean, it would make you unclean. But Jesus, the perfect holy one, the the lamb that was slain uh, is the clean one who can touch something unclean. And it's, it's a great reversal. He takes the uncleanliness, but he makes it clean. And that's what he, he goes on to do. He takes our uncleanliness and our sin on the cross. And through his death and sacrifice, he is able to make clean and to give life. And he says, I say, arise. Now, this is so striking because... He, and he deliberately words, I say, arise. Um, he is saying this in his own power. I think it harks back to the use of the word Lord. Only God himself has the power to, to get someone to rise again from the, the dead. And Jesus is claiming divinity here. The prophets Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament, there's very similar miracles that you can read of in 1 and 2 Kings. Um, they both have to, to pray and, and call upon the Lord, whereas Jesus here just says, I say, arise. Uh, And what happens? In verse 15, uh, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. He sat up. Physically, he's alive. He spoke. Mentally, he's alive. He's been resurrected from the dead, very clearly. Uh, And the first thing that Jesus does, and I think this shows wonderfully his compassionate heart, is that he gives this young man to the mother, the one who said, do not weep. He is now sort of shown through his own willingness to, to touch what is unclean, uh, to be dirty for our sake. He has been able to give the very thing that she needed and wanted that was causing the tears. So what does Jesus see in this story? I think we, Jesus sees the sin, the devastation of sin, 
uh, effects of sin, death, loneliness, grief, despair. And he longs to show compassion. He came to show love and compassion to his people. And in this story, we see it displayed so wonderfully, so incredibly, that he was willing to touch what was unclean to make it clean. He's shown that he is worthy and he's willing. So I want to reflect a little bit now on, on what do we see in this story. What do you see? It's, it's helpful to, to just observe in, in the text what the, the people at the time saw, what, what their reaction was. So in verse 16, fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has visited among us, and God has visited his people. There's two things here that they're, they're seeing. It's um, a great prophet. So prophets were one who were bringing God's word and, and truth. And they see in this story that, that Jesus incredibly brings God's word and truth directly. He can say, I say, arise. Uh, and it's true, he has the power to follow it through. He can say, don't weep. Uh, and he is actually the one that's able to fulfill that. It's interesting, in Psalm 119, uh, it, it talks about how all the commands of God are true. If you actually stop back and think about that, how can commands be true? Like you can either do them, yes, or not do them. Uh, but I think they're true because, in one sense, they're good. But they're true because, actually, Jesus himself is able to fulfill perfectly all the commands of God. He makes them true himself. And so when he commands, don't weep, he's actually able to make that true uh, himself. They've seen a great prophet and, and they've seen that God has visited his people. Uh, so many claims, as we've noticed, that, that it's only God who can make the unclean clean, who can make the dead alive. So the people here, they, they respond with fear and, and glory. Andrew unpacked really helpfully uh, the idea of fearing the Lord last week. Uh, he said to properly fear the Lord is to trust in Jesus, to receive him as Lord and Saviour. You might think, oh, how's that to fear the Lord? Well, to, to fear the one who is awesome and great and powerful is actually to, to, to trust, um, to see him as he is, uh, to trust him and receive him as Lord and Saviour, but also to run to his compassion and embrace knowing that he is the one that forgives. Right? When we see something awesome and so, something mighty and powerful in God, uh, it can be our tendency to want to shy away because we want to hide in our sin. Uh, but actually, fear of the Lord rightly draws us to him. And we see, see his glory as we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. We, we should actually see his goodness right? and be drawn to that, be drawn to his compassionate arms. So I want to ask you, how do you, See Jesus. When you look to Jesus, as you find him in this story, as you find him in the Gospels, what do you see? Do you see a pointed finger? Do you see someone looking to judge? Is that how you're responding to him? Or when you look to Jesus, do you see the one who is worthy? But more than that, the one who is willing the one who out of compassion and love has laid down his life. 
Now, it's interesting that, that in this story, it's a, it's a young man that's died. I just want to speak to young men, young women, the youth here. Um, I think it's, it's so possible <laughs> at your time of life, it's still possible at my time of life, I'm not that old, um, but it, 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 you, you think that death is, is so far off. Now, if you're viewing God as sort of judgmental and, and so forth, then you're actually not really wanting to, to come to him. And, and I know the tendency can sort of be to, look, look I know I'm going to have to go to God for forgiveness at some stage, but I'm sort of just going to embrace like all the, the pleasures of life now and, and sort of plan to really investigate this later on. But if this story is, is true and what it's saying about God is true, um, then I would ask you to rethink that approach because now is the time to, to come to God. Not just for forgiveness so that you, you're not under judgment, but because he is loving and compassionate. And to come to him and to walk the rest of your days, however long or short they might be, there could be no better way of living. Um, I, I would imagine that you know the, the two people that became Christians at the end of last year would would say that that to to come to Jesus, um, they've been able to experience His love and His compassion and His goodness. If you're if you're not a Christian, you're investigating Christianity. I invite you to to come to Him. To, embrace, to come to his embrace and his loving arms. He meets you in your sin and your suffering. And he's able to say, do not weep. He has dealt with it all. The, the last point I want to make, and I, I probably could have finished the, the sermon there, and time-wise you'd probably all be pretty happy with that. Uh, but there's, there's actually one more point that, that I want to make. Uh, that, and that is that Jesus sees you. And I want to draw one particular thing out of this passage and just try and apply it to, to us and some significant needs that I think that, that we have but are, are very, very evident in our wider culture as well. In the story, we've noticed this already, but the widow, she is, she is alone. Right? She is isolated. I think for each of us, our, our hearts go out to her and it's just, she is in this crowd of people and yet she must have felt so alone, so lonely. Loneliness is something that is affecting our culture incredibly and it's, it's also affecting many, many in our church. It is so hard to be in a crowd, to have a thousand friends on social media, but to feel alone, to feel not seen. I just want to speak to, to this for, for just a couple of minutes. I actually happen to be at a um, sort of a, a think tank actually on loneliness this this week. Uh, and and it's a it's a, a group called Publica and and they're so a Christian, Christian group, multi-denominational, but they're just a group that are looking at some of the, the really significant challenges in our modern culture. 
and looking at the statistics and the stories of those things, but then asking the question, well, how does the gospel and how does the church help meet these needs? Right? And a really, really significant one is loneliness. Right? The, the statistics are, are incredible. Now, I want to put up the definition that, that publica have, have put out about loneliness. So loneliness, that define, is the gulf between the degree of social connection we have and how much we feel we need. And the researchers identified that there's three groups in particular that are significantly affected by loneliness. Uh, the first is the, the very elderly or infirm. And one of the reasons for that is that many of their peers have, have died, don't have the energy sort of for initiating social connections. And even just the way our society is sort of made these days, it can be a very lonely and isolating stage of life. Uh, the second one is men who have been divorced or widowed. So statistics would say this group of men are, are sort of about seven times more likely to, to feel acute loneliness than their, their married or, or even never been married counterparts, which is, which is interesting. Uh, there's some reasons behind that. Uh, and the, the third group is young adults. Uh, and young adults, they're pretty generous in their definition. I still don't make it. Uh, but um, really, um, 20s and 30s, and the research would note that particularly in the 20s, the, the loneliness is, is pretty widespread, um, but often in the 30s can be more acutely felt, but, but maybe not quite as widely spread. Uh, and it's just a couple of things from the research. The loneliness increased to the extent that in-person connectedness decreased. So what they're saying in English is the more you're on your computer, the more you're on social media, the more you're playing computer games and, and so forth, um, the, the less, the, the more likely you are to feel loneliness. Okay, so things that we might look to, Facebook and MySpace years ago, Instagram, more, more recently, Be Real. Um, I know anyone over 27 has never heard of that. Um, but the, the um, yeah, we, we, we think, and for a little while, these sort of give us a little bump because we feel more connectedness and, and so forth. Um, but the reality is um, this online connectedness actually has an inverse relationship with with loneliness. Um, now, I want to go to this definition there, um, the, the, the gulf between the connection we have and how much we need. The reality is there's this gulf between the connection we think we need and, and the connection we have. And one thing, obviously, to address is the, the actual connection that we have. So I want to speak to us here because as, as Christians and as a church family, we are so encouraged um, to be like Jesus, to be those that are compassionate to, to one another. And, and so to be seeing those in our midst that are feeling this loneliness um, and loving and caring and reaching out, compelled to be compassionate to one another. Um, those, those who are young adults, it's so, so important for you that there's opportunities for you to connect with one another. Right, so, so getting involved in things like Uni Impact is great. We have a young adults group that, that meet for dinner regularly. If you looked at the 
the video that was up before. You just need to, to follow that app uh, to connect groups and young adults to get connected into that. But we want to encourage you to be both initiating to one another and, and seeking to, to take opportunities for, for connection there. I mean, one of my reflections of, of the closing down of our night service, which happened during COVID, is that the closing down of that has, has affected the ability of the young adults in our church to sort of have their connection point and, and identity point. I think the, the flip side of that, which has been really positive, is the intergenerational connectedness. But I think it's worth noting that, and I want to really encourage young adults to be initiating towards one another. Um, but, but I think we, we need desperately for there to be connection intergenerationally um, between people in different stages of life. Because the reality is that families and, and singles uh, desperately need each other. Uh, in fact, it's, it's been noted and it's important that, that we each have lots of what the other needs. So those who are single and, and mobile, you have time and energy and, to be honest, enthusiasm. Um, uh, families, young families, um, have this sense of belonging and connectedness and, and relationship. Often we're, we're sort of rich in the things that the others are, are poor in and we, we need each other. So I want to speak particularly to, to the families here. Um, I just can't tell you how wonderful and blessed it is for you to be initiating to, to singles, young adults in, in our midst. You'll be blessed by having them in, in your house. Will you consider initiating to, to a number of young adults in our, our community? You'll be blessed by it, but you will you, I'm sure you will be blessing greatly that this, this loneliness is such a, a huge thing in our community. And as a church, we really want to be loving and caring for one another. And I think there's going to be huge opportunities, not just within our church family, but to, to really profoundly show the love and compassion of God to those around us as well. Okay, so that's the trying to raise the connections that we have. The last thing, and I'll just conclude with this quickly, is um, the connections that we feel we need. Okay, so we feel there's a gap between the connections we feel we need. I just want to be be honest, in a sinful, fallen world, I think there's actually always going to be a bit of a gap, right? We're going to have strained and hard relationships. Life isn't going to be, we're not, we're going to feel alone. There's going to be times where we feel that disconnect. And I think it's actually helpful to, to acknowledge that. But it's also so important and so helpful to know that God sees, right? If we're looking horizontally to, to, to meet those connection and loneliness needs, I think that is important. But we need to look to God. He sees. That widow, she was surrounded by a crowd, but she was alone. Jesus had compassion. He was able to say, do not weep. Because he saw her and he loved her. Jesus sees you. He has compassion on you. He says, do not weep. And he can say that. 
because he has shown that he is worthy and that he is willing to wipe away every tear. Let's pray. Father, this is it's just a pretty short story, but it's just so powerful. Uh, Jesus just walked 80 k's and he's arrived at this time and we just can see how it's divinely orchestrated uh, that he would be able to show compassion and love this widow. Lord, we are so thankful that you are a good, a compassionate, a loving, a caring God. Father, forgive us when we see you as judgmental or quick to anger. Our Father, help us to see uh, that, that you care, that you're concerned, and help us to be quick in our sin or in our suffering to receive your wonderful embrace. Lord, we are so thankful that Jesus is worthy and that he is willing. And I pray for each one of us here that we would look to him. We would trust him when he says that he loves us, that he can wipe away every tear, that he has defeated sin and death. And we would cling to him. Father, I particularly pray that you would be with any who is acutely feeling loneliness here. Pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, minister to their hearts. But I pray as well that you would give opportunity for us to be compelled by your compassion to love and to care for one another. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.